topic of our demo talk this evening is the synopsis of the four establishments of mindfulness. Now, during the welcome talk, I briefly spoke about Satna Dhamma and Satna defining Dhamma as that which uplifts, upholds, guards, and in particular protects. And among the different aspects of the Dhamma that protect us, we have well virtue, concentration, and also wisdom, and we also have the four establishments of mindfulness, namely Chattaro Satipatthana in the Pali scriptural language. Now, going from the very general to somewhat uh, the more you know, specific, um, we you know, then mentioned uh, during the opening talk on you know, Wednesday evening, a verse uh, you know, give or spoken you know, by you know, the Buddha in response uh, to you know, questions asked by uh, a Devata you know, by the name of Chandana. And so the verse you know, just to you know, remind you or refresh you know, it in your memory is as follows one always perfect in you know, virtue, endowed with wisdom, well concentrated, one energetic and you know, resolute, crosses the flood so hard to cross. So it is in this certain wider context of the Dhamma and certainly then the training of or training in virtue, in concentration and certainly then wisdom that the four establishments of mindfulness are located. And what we shall do today is we shall take a closer look at uh, one particular passage from the Satipatthana Sutta that uh, summarizes uh, all the instructions and uh, gives us uh, the relevant uh, factors that uh, are needed to successfully uh, carry out uh, uh, this mindfulness practice. So I'm quoting a translation by Bhikkhut Jnana Moli. What are you know, the four you know, satipatthanas? Here, a meditator abides contemplating the body in the body, or as a different translation, the body as a body, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having put away covetousness and discontent for the world. One abides contemplating feelings as feelings or feelings in feelings, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindfulness and mindful, sorry, and certainly having put away covetousness and discontent for the world. One abides contemplating mind as mind, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having put away covetousness and discontent for the world. One abides contemplating dhammas as dhammas, 
ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, having put away covetousness and discontent for the world. Now, if we were to leave it at this passage, then you might or might not understand the deeper meaning of it. And so further explanations are definitely needed. Now, the Buddha speaks of four establishments of mindfulness and those boil down to just one thing, namely mindfulness. It is just mindfulness that is certainly being applied to four different categories of certain objects, but the principle remains certainly just the same. Now, when we contemplate the body as the body or feelings as certain feelings and certain so on, then mindfulness itself is not enough. It needs to be complemented by other qualities such as being ardent ardor, ardent energy, and then clear comprehension, and furthermore, one needs to well put away the covetousness and discontent. Now, as for the term atapi, which is the Pali scriptural term for ardent, then it literally means possessing energy or one who possesses energy. And so here, atapi is in the sense of, uh, well, burning up and consuming the mental defilements with this ardor. And so, so in other words, when we apply ardent energy, ardent effort, then the mental defilements have no chance to linger on and they will be distanced, they will be kept at, a, at bay so that they cannot certainly interfere with our work of contemplating whatever predominant object arises. Now, the corresponding verb is certainly that of atapeti, which means, literally speaking, to burn, to scorch, or figuratively taken to torment, to inflict pain or torture. And so the term atapi then has been translated by various scholars in different ways. And one translation is as diligent, namely by Venerable Analayo. And I do have reservations about this, since the Pali term for diligence is apamada.
and certainly then others hamilton katz and pan pande have uh, proposed uh, well being conscientious and active and certainly also the presence of an input of energy that revives the decreasing morale and certainly an elder or venerable sadatisa sri lankan scholar monk who passed away some years ago translates this term as constant effort and venerable Nyanamori and Bodhi Bhikkhu Bodhi as ardent or tireless energy. And just like our mindfulness needs to be continuous, our effort also needs to be continuous from moment to moment. Now, this certain ardent certain energy, atapa, in the Pali scriptural language, is connected to the mental factor of what? Very simple. Well, just yeah, effort there. You go, you know, the mental factor of effort, viriya. And so it boils down more or less to you know, the same you know, thing. There are slight you know, differences. And so in earlier talks, it's you know, one of you know, the explanation, explanations for you know, the effort you know, was certainly given as certainly, you know, well, what was it? Causing unarisen unwholesome mental states to arise, and certainly then um, abandoning unwholesome mental states that have already uh, arisen. Now, there are two discourses known as Atapa Sutta, so the first and the second, and certainly the first one is extremely short. It consists of just two words. And the Pali words are Atapamkaraniyam, which means ardent energy must be exercised. So this gives you uh, one meaning, and so you know, you know, ardent energy needs to be exercised to destroy unwholesomeness. Now, the second Atapa Sutta is uh, you know, somewhat more elaborate, and uh, so more than just uh, two you know, words, and certainly it certainly then says that certainly there are three purposes for which ardent energy is to be exerted. Namely, number one, to prevent the arising of unwholesomeness, and then number two, to cause the arising of wholesomeness, and number three, to endure bodily feelings that have arisen and are distressing. So this then, in simple terms, gives you some idea of what this ardent energy is all about. So when we observe objects, then when we observe objects with mindfulness, then this needs to be accompanied by ardent energy. 
Now, the next uh, factor uh, that uh, the Satipatthana Sutta speaks of is uh, that of clear comprehension, namely Sampajanya. And uh, this clear comprehension in uh, the text has uh, or occurs in different meanings, different shades of uh, meanings, and uh, this unfortunately uh, has uh, made uh, the interpretation of uh, Sampajanya, Sampajanya somewhat uh, difficult. So, in some contexts, it means uh, well clear comprehension with reference to bodily postures and routine activities of everyday life, and then in a different context, for instance, in the 47th collection of discourses from the Samyutta Nikaya, it is used with reference to the arising and passing away of feelings of thoughts and certain perceptions. So this is quite different. And then the term Sampajanya also occurs in the connection with the life of the Buddha. And he is said to be teaching with clear comprehension. And he's also said to be enduring a pain with mindful and clear comprehension. And yeah, that's that. And then there is yet another interpretation of or another usage of the term Sampajanya, namely with regard to a person who then well, an a fetus who is clearly comprehending his or her state in the womb. And certainly then there's a rather, mm, you know, well, astonishing usage of clear comprehension as uh, you know, in clearly comprehending speaking, mm, you know, speaking of false hoods. Now, this, of course, is certainly very different from what we need in our context. And what has been said is based on well passages mentioned by Venerable Analayo in his book Satipatthana. And also with reference to what certain venerable Bikut Bodhi has to say about well, mindfulness and certain clear comprehension. Now, the term clear comprehension has been defined by I.B. Horner, president of the Pani Text Society, a past president, as acting in a clearly conscious way, Sampajana Kari Hoti. And the Venerable Sadhu Pandita takes a similar interpretation of the term Sampajanya by saying one should act consciously with full knowledge of what is certain, uh, of what one is certain doing. 
And certainly the Venerable Zidot also adds, and this is certainly very helpful, that certainly Sampajanya is not proper vipassana, as vipassana jnana, so insight knowledge as yet. Now, this clear comprehension can be said to one clearly one clearly knows activities as a precondition for subsequent formal sitting meditation, such as maybe as certainly the bhikkhus going on arms round and certainly then clearly comprehending choosing a proper place certainly for meditation and then actually starting to meditate. Now, this clear comprehension also has been referred to as an incipient type of knowledge or wisdom, in other words, an initial form of wisdom that has the potential to grow into rather deep levels of wisdom. Now, one common passage in which clear comprehension arises in a predominant manner is from the Satipatthana Sutta itself, namely the section on general activities. And there it says, a meditator is accomplished in mindfulness and clear awareness. Here, a meditator acts with clear comprehension in going forth and back, in looking ahead or behind, in bending and stretching, in wearing, and I'm adjusting a little bit, in wearing one's certain clothes, and certainly then in eating, in drinking, in chewing, in swallowing, in evacuating, and certainly even urinating, in walking, standing, sitting, and lying down, in waking, in speaking, and in keeping silent, one acts with clear comprehension. So Venerable Analayo, after discussing a couple of examples from the Sutta Pitaka, namely collection of discourses, comes to the conclusion that it is certainly the ability to fully grasp or comprehend what is taking place. Now, in the context of this certainly clear comprehension, it's also helpful to know what the commentators have said, and certainly clear comprehension is certainly there being explained as consisting of four things, namely clear comprehension regarding the purpose or benefit of an action, 
And secondly, clear comprehension of suitability, sapaya sampajanya in the Pali language. And the first one is sataka sampajanya. And the third one is gochara sampajanya, namely clear comprehension of terrain or pasture or territory or domain. And the last one is asamoha sampajanya, clear comprehension of uh, um, well uh, of the activity concerned now the first one is said to be understood in you know, the sense that before we actually do something or say something we check whether it is you know, beneficial or not whether there is a purpose you know, to it or not and certainly so, you know, we do not leave it with this certain you know, first check, but you know, we you know, then you know, do a second check you know, whether you know, an you know, action you know, planned is suitable or not. So certain activities may be beneficial, but may not necessarily be you know, suitable. And so, you know, then having checked in you know, according to both you know, parameters, you know, we you know, you know, then either act or you know, not certain so, you know, act. Now, to give you an example, you know, a practical example, to you know, give a Dhamma talk you know, to an audience uh, like uh, you know, yourselves who you know, uh, an audience that is certainly very uh, mindful and certainly very uh, intent on uh, listening is certainly for sure uh, a beneficial activity and certainly also there's a good certain purpose there and it's also you know, suitable but uh, if a teacher were to you know, give a dumb or attempt to you know, give a dhamma talk around certain midnight in a beer bar you know, that is <laughs> That is full of people, and there's lots of music going on. And then you know, it may be beneficial, but so it may be somewhat out of context. And so you know, with this, then it's pretty obvious that it's not suitable, and so you know, that's not to be you know, not to be you know, done. Now, you know, what is certainly you know, meant? by uh, clear comprehension of uh, one's uh, domain. Does any one of you know whether one is still in one's domain or not? Hmm? Pardon me? Or expertise, yes. And so for you as a meditator, your uh, expertise extends to uh, to what? Observation. Yes, observation of uh, mm, well objects that are you know, occurring mm, within the body and uh, the mind, or uh, objects that are somewhat unrelated. Ah, there we go. So. The clear comprehension with regard to the domain or territory is to be understood in the sense that it refers to the territory of the four establishments of mindfulness. And so, 
we might be you know, sitting in you know, meditation and you know, then you know, let's say some you know, predominant pain is occurring and you know, while the pain is occurring we allow our you know, mind you know, to drift off and to think about totally unrelated matters and we're not mindful of this at all nor are we mindful of the pain any more and so with this we are no longer in our territory as a meditator so in the territory of the four establishments of mindfulness and the four establishments are to recall this well the whole group of bodily formations then the whole group of feelings pleasant unpleasant neutral feelings and then the whole range of mental of consciousness and certain respective mental factors and then the last group consists of dhammas now the last of those certain four clear comprehensions as certainly explained by the commentator is as clear comprehension of non-delusion or reality of the activity concerned. So this venerable Bhikkhubodhi has explained as discernment of things in their true nature, free from delusion. So this is basically a definition for wisdom and Satya, this Satya then covers or well, has Satya, the potential of covering the very early stages of Satya, intuitive wisdom up to highly advanced Satya, stages of Satya, wisdom. Now, sometimes meditators assume that clear comprehension is since it is being mentioned often oftentimes together with mindfulness that it is one and the same so the same as mindfulness and is this really the case or not it's not and so, so the definition the classical fourfold or here threefold certain definition of clear comprehension sampajanya is as possessing the characteristic of non-confusion wisdom and its function is to investigate and it is manifested as scrutiny and in a couple of minutes i will also give you the classical fourfold definition for mindfulness and then you will see that there's a clear difference there now the venerable sadhu pandita Nebhimamsa of Burma, when he explains about clear comprehension, likes to do this based on the etymology of the term. And he says that the term Sampajanya consists of three parts, namely Sam and Pa and Janya. And certainly here, the prefix Sam means correctly or fully. 
and Satnya then also clearly, distinctly, personally, and Satnya then the particle Pap means in an extraordinary or unusual manner, and Satnya then Janya means Satnya knowing. So one knows in an extraordinary manner, one knows correctly and fully in an extraordinary manner. Now, of course, there would be you know, more to say about certain clear comprehension, but certainly let us you know, limit it certain to you know, this much, and certainly then you know, move on you know, to you know, explain you know, those certain terms. We near log log abijat dominasam, and certain. In English, the translation is having put it in a way covetousness and discontent for the world. Now, the world here, loka, refers to the five aggregates. So, the aggregate of bodily formations of feelings and then of perceptions of mental formations and consciousness. And the term loka also as world satna refers to the pleasures of the five satna senses. So different interpretations exist. Now, vinyatna means to be free from or having having removed and is related to the verb vineti, which means to remove. Now, the Pali word abija, not to be confounded with avija. Avija is your ignorance. Abija, spelled as A B H I J J H long A. This certainly means certain covetousness or desire. And so. So desiring certain uh, experiences. So when we observe fatna objects, then the mind should be free from desire, free from desiring objects that are to our liking. Now, this abhijja is a synonym of greed and craving, and is clearly unwholesome in uh, nature. Now, as for you know, this, you know, the other term, dominasa, this you know, refers you know, to, you know, well, displeasure or discontent, and uh, uh, namely you know, a feeling you know, with a mentally painful you know, feeling. And this discontent to well clarified further is not necessarily to be understood to be the same thing as ill will or aversion, irritation, etc. And there may occur occasions when discontent arises. 
and certain discontent arises owing to spiritual dissatisfaction, so you know, owing to the fact that maybe one is not you know, progressing as quickly as one is certainly hoping. And so this kind of a discontent is not related you know, to you know, the underlying tendency you know, to irritation. So discontent is more in you know, the sense of uh, um, experiencing an unpleasant feeling which is contrary to one's desires and certain expectations. So when we do you know, observe certain predominant certain objects, whether they are you know, desirable or undesirable, it doesn't certainly matter you know, we you know, should do so you know, free from you know, desire and certain you know, discontent certain in you know, the world. Now, what will having explained ardent energy and then clear comprehension sampajanya and also explained the term it is now time to go into more well detailed explanations about mindfulness itself now mindfulness is a key term in you know, the practice of you know, the establishment of uh, establishment of uh, mindfulness, satipatthana, and uh, thus it's worth you know, to know its uh, you know, well its meaning with the many you know, shades you know, that exist. Now. When we undertake meditation practice, mindfulness practice, then over a longer period of time, then our mental factors, such as faith, such as effort, mindfulness, and then also concentration and intuitive wisdom, are likely to undergo changes. And so over time, you know, they're likely to you know, become you know, stronger and you know, stronger for you know, the most you know, part. So in the course of you know, our you know, mindfulness practice, mindfulness itself you know, will undergo major changes. Can you think of qualities of mindfulness? We have mentioned already you know, during the past you know, Dhamma talks panoramic mindfulness. So you know, this is a mindfulness you know, where your focus, your main focus is on one object and suddenly then you know, seemingly you are aware of a number of other objects occurring at the periphery. So this is one you know, shade of mindfulness. Can you think of other higher forms of higher developed forms of mindfulness and certainly maybe uh, not that developed forms of mindfulness. When you started Satna the retreat day one, was your mindfulness already perfect? Uh, <laughs> obviously not. And Satna was it uh, very continuous or not? Uh, not. And so, 
the first way to characterize our mindfulness would be by to say that at first it certainly tends to be somewhat discontinuous and it's a stop and go mindfulness. So it's present for a while and certainly then you know, the mind goes off on a tangent and certainly then we're totally, totally or we totally forget certainly mindfulness and certainly then only a couple of minutes certainly later you know, do we remember you know, to be mindful uh, again. And so during the you know, second insight knowledge, you know, our you know, mindfulness will continue you know, to have you know, the same qualities of being somewhat discontinuous and still relatively weak. Then, if we go on with our practice, that is you know, when mind, certainly, a great number of objects certainly tend to occur simultaneously, and at that point, our mindfulness certainly becomes panoramic. Now, will it certainly stay panoramic forever? It will not. And certainly then, as certainly briefly touched upon already yesterday during the talk, there are phases in our practice where there's so much happening that our mindfulness becomes rather dynamic, rather active, rather quick. And so that then is a new phase in our mindfulness. And certainly then, at a still later point in the practice, the mind or our mindfulness is so sharp that it can, within just a few moments, it will first advert to the ending of a physical object. Then the next moment it will advert to the ending of you know, the labeling itself, and then you know, the, the very next moment it certainly might be you know, adverting you know, to you know, the ending of consciousness. So this you could call the double or you know, triple you know, advertence as the case may be. And uh, this is a rather remarkable you know, feature of you know, one's you know, mindfulness. Uh, namely, the ability to quickly you know, move from you know, from one object to you know, the next. Then, for a while, our mindfulness, well, is just or it assumes ordinary qualities, and then at a later point in the practice, again, it becomes panoramic. And even beyond that point, it then becomes more one-pointed. And so at that point, there is no longer a whole range of objects that occur simultaneously, but rather there's just a few major objects that are occurring, and one object will last for a longer period of time. And so while you know, this is happening, it might you know, happen you know, that our mindfulness on occasion becomes extremely fast and certainly sharp. And at that point, it's pretty close you know, to a perfect you know, state. So from you know, this, you, know, you can see you know, that mindfulness itself 
in the course of you know, the meditation practice undergoes major uh, changes. And once in a while, you might you know, just you know, take a look at you know, the qualities of you know, your mindfulness itself. Now, over you know, the last, you know, let's say, you know, decade or you know, so, modern sciences have taken much interest in mindfulness. And this has then yielded many different definitions for mindfulness. And research being done on mindfulness. Now, according to a book written by Daniel J. Siegel, who was an American psychologist, if I'm not mistaken, also a researcher, and so according to a book entitled The Mindful Brain, and I've read it in the German language, he says that, well, earlier, studies were done on what is mindfulness, what do people normally associate with mindfulness. And these different or different research projects existed. And those then were combined and the essential elements from, I think, five different studies were then... Or, or you know, the you know, common elements from you know, various different you know, studies you know, then you know, were um, you know, given, and the first one is you know, the non-reactivity towards um, inner experiences, and certainly so, you know, this is a common uh, well aspect that you are you know, familiar with. Now, a second characteristic of mindfulness, as certainly found by the researchers, is to observe or to notice or to be present with physical sensations, with thoughts and emotions, or feelings, sorry, feelings. And even if those are unpleasant or even uh, painful. Now, the third certain characteristic in our compilation is to do all of this, so to be, to observe with, um, well, con in, or in a conscious manner and certainly to be understood as not acting in an, um, in an autopilot certain manner. So you're not doing things automatically, you know, mechanically, but you know, whatever you do, whatever you observe, you, know, you do so you know, fully you know, conscious and not being you know, distracted. And then an interesting aspect, fourth aspect, is to then describe or to express experiences with words. And this is an interesting point because 
on occasion, meditators certainly say, um, why should I then be sitting there and mentally commenting on whatever is happening? Now, this is interfering with my practice, and so that, you know, like this, I'll never be able to gain you know, the Dhamma. The amazing thing is that one can be mindful and of whatever object comes up, and you know, then you know, mentally describe to oneself what is actually going on. So the mind has certainly this you know, dual you know, ability. So the mental, you know, mental and certain mental verbal you know, description of what's happening is not uh, ultimately you know, not interfering you know, with certain, you know, the um, experience or with the meditation. And Sutna, the last characteristic, as Sutna compiled by researchers, is that of not judging one's own experiences. And Sutna, this is Sutna, will be very familiar to you. So we sit in meditation and then maybe anger arises and Sutna then you know, we you know, judge ourselves for this, oh, uh, it shouldn't be arising you know, in me, and uh, as a yogi I should uh, have a perfectly pure uh, mind all the time. And certain, obviously that's not going to be you know, the case. So non-reactivity towards inner experiences and certainly then to observe sensations, certain thoughts and feelings as they occur, to be conscious, act consciously, and certainly then to describe them even with words, and certainly then not to value or judge one's certain experiences. When you think of mindfulness, does your you know, the mindfulness uh, need to have more qualities, or are there other qualities to our mindfulness, or not? Is this all? So, no, Venerable Viranyan is saying it, no. Plunging into. Oh, plunging into an object, yes. And so, then, Peter, which other qualities do you think uh, our mindfulness should possess? Oh, clear comprehension because of consciousness, yeah. Yeah, there is an overlap there, that's true. Okay, no. The fourth quality where you're describing the phenomenon at the same time as you're observing it. Yeah, right. It does happen. So you sit there, you sit there, and suddenly then you observe the predominant object, and then some amount of commenting may be there, and you're still aware of what's happening. Having said this, there are also times when we just observe without any mental comments going on. So both is possible. No, the mind can do both. 
Okay, now let us certainly see you know, whether mm, this is really all in terms of qualities of our you know, mindfulness. And modern you know, expressions for you know, mindfulness have been you know, given as presence of mind as attentiveness to you know, to the present moment then awareness wakefulness heedfulness and certainly you know, the venerable Nisaru Panita Bivamsa has coined you know, the term observing power you know, since you know, this you know, then you know, carries uh, the, you know, the meaning of you know, of a rather dynamic nature. Now, in the Mahasi tradition, the classical definition of mindfulness or of Satipatthana is as firm, close, and steadfast establishment of mindfulness on the respective object of observation. And respective object of observation could be any you know, from the four categories of Gaya, Gaya, Vedna, Jitta, and Satna Dhamma. Now, the term you know, Satipatthana itself has been uh, interpreted uh, over you know, time in different ways, and I'm mentioning this you know, just for you know, general you know, knowledge. Namely, that the commentary to the Majjhima Nikaya prefers to break it up as sati and patana, and there sati obviously means mindfulness, and then patana is being interpreted as foundation. So foundation of mindfulness, and this is a translation that on occasion uh, you still find in uh, old uh, texts on mindfulness practice. Now, the Navisuri Magga, the path of purification, based on an earlier uh, definition from the Bhattisambhita Magga, understands certainly the term Satipatthana in a different way and certainly etymologically it says the compound term of Satipatthana consists of Sati and Upatana and certainly here Sati again means mindfulness and Upatana is your establishment so establishment of mindfulness and then the Visuddhimagga goes on to explain you know, what Satna, this Satna means. Namely, it says mindfulness is called establishment, Upatana, since it approaches Upagantva in Pali, the object, and remains Titati in Pali, there. So, approaching an object and remaining with an object. Now, An early Pali, Western Pali scholar, namely uh, Professor Rai Satna Davids, 
and certainly the venerable uh, Analayo propose a different interpretation of the term of the, the same term sati and upatana namely as sati meaning mindfulness and certainly then upatana is certainly more in the sense of being present or placing near to attending to something with mindfulness or waiting on a person or figuratively waiting on a, an object looking after something and um, the rational that is being offered is that the word the Pali verb is upatahati and this means being present and attending so to attend on or to care for so when we combine this then the term sati nipatana stands for well mindfulness which is ready at hand presence of mindfulness and attending with mindfulness However, like I've mentioned earlier on, in the Mahasi tradition, this interpretation is not necessarily accepted. Now, earlier on, the classical definition of clear comprehension was certainly given and said now let us contrast this with the classical definition of mindfulness and its characteristic is given as apilapana lakana which means not wobbling or you know, the mind is not uh, you know, floating or skimming over you know, the surface of uh, you know, the object, but rather you know, our mindfulness is plunging or, or sinking into you know, the most uh, predominant uh, object. And so, so you know, this certainly then is certainly being illustrated by you know, the commentator as follows, namely when you throw a dried and hollow pumpkin onto the surface of a river, then this pumpkin will sink to the bottom of the river or it will float on the surface. Well, it will float. And so and if you, you know, then, however, throw a rock into that same you know, river, you know, then uh, you know, it is likely you know, to you know, well sink to you know, the bottom of uh, the river. So our mindfulness should be like you know, the rock you know, thrown uh, into you know, the river. Now, when we are, when our mindfulness is really sinking into an object, then it becomes possible to carefully observe and know what is truly going on, and then to know various sensations in the rising movement, such as tension, stiffness, hardness, and so on, and the expansion, and in the case of the falling movement, relaxation and certain contraction. 
tension and certain various other you know, sensations. Now, the classical you know, function you know, that is certainly given for you know, mindfulness is certainly that of asamosa rasa in Pali, which means certainly then keeping the object in view, or in other words, absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness. So when we do observe an object, then we keep it in view, and certainly we stay, our mind stays with it, and we don't all of a sudden forget it, and certainly then our mind goes off to some other object. When we have to, let's say when we have to, when we walk a tightrope from one side to the other, then all of our attention has to be on the rope and our way of walking and making sure that we step properly. And we cannot allow ourselves to forget what we're doing at the present moment if otherwise we might fall off that tightrope. Now, two manifestations are classically being given for mindfulness and the first one is which means a state of confrontation. Literally, it means a state of being face-to-face with the predominant object. So if you, if you have some flower in front of you, and you've never seen it before, it's a rather unique species, then, and you want to learn something about it, then you have to look at it very carefully, you have to be close to it, and you have to look at it well, face to face, and also explore it from different angles. And the same thing goes for your mindfulness practice. So when you observe an object, you want to be face-to-face with this object. Now, when this certain particular condition is certainly given over a longer period of time, meditators usually experience a purity of the mind. And that purity then... Um, has to do with the second manifestation of mindfulness being protection or guardianship. And this is important for for us as certain meditators, namely, in the presence of moment-to-moment mindfulness um, in the stream of consciousness, unwholesome mental states have no chance to arise and they cannot attack us, and thus we are protected, and wholesome mental states have a chance to um, then unfold. And 
so mindfulness satya then operates as a as a doorkeeper so to speak it keeps out the unwanted states and certainly it permits the arising of wholesome mental states now when we go through life typically we are going to experience a mixture of wholesome mental states and unwholesome mental states. So it's not going to be uh, happy, you know, sailing all the time. And so in particular, when difficult certain mental states come up, and certainly they might even get out of foot and control, it is under these circumstances that we need to remember the second manifestation of mindfulness. So let's say you sit in meditation and suddenly then you make the well the mistake of being absent-minded for a couple of moments or maybe even a few minutes and suddenly then you're regrettable mistake that was the word I was looking for and suddenly so and suddenly then you end up thinking about suddenly some terrible experience from the past someone wronged you and you really know it was unfair unjust and you suffered suddenly tremendously and so and then mm, anger arises in the mind and so then you observe it for a little bit and suddenly then the anger rather than subsiding it actually gets suddenly stronger and suddenly it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and so it turns into a rage now Mm, is it pleasant to experience a rage? <laughs> Not at all. And so mm, the thing to remember is this continuity of mindfulness. So mm, sooner or later you will wake up from your, uh, from your memories and then it's high time to go back to mindfulness from moment to moment to moment and then this certainly will help you to gradually slow down the momentum of the anger and then if you're lucky after a while the anger will subside entirely because it's losing its momentum it's losing an opportunity to arise in the mind because when mindfulness sorry, is present then also mental states have a chance to arise instead the same thing goes for a case when you get attacked by fear or when let's say some tremendous worries arise or maybe you're overwhelmed by tremendous skeptical doubt so in these cases try to remember the continuity of mindfulness and this will really help you a lot Now, 
the classical fourfold definition of mindfulness gives two proximate causes for the for its arising, and the first one being vira-sanya-tempadatana, and this means a strong perception. So. Um, the perception of uh, whatever object that we observe needs to be strong so that mindfulness then actually can act on uh, the object. But if the initial perception of the object is rather weak and rather vague, then mindfulness has nothing solid, tangible to work with, and then it cannot properly function. So you want a clear or a strong perception of whatever predominant object then comes up. And so to give you one example for this, even if we hear a very, very faint sound, if our mind is, our perception is rather sharp and also the concentration is rather strong, then we will clearly perceive that faint sound and even though the sound is faint, mindfulness then can act on it and learn or observe it carefully and then know something about the object. Now, the second the approximate cause for it near the arising of mindfulness is classically given as the four establishments of mindfulness. In other words, one moment of mindfulness followed by the next moment of mindfulness, by yet another moment of mindfulness, and so on and so forth, will lead to a resulting mindfulness that is relatively strong. And so, one moment of mindfulness then, or mindfulness that is present from moment to moment will then ensure that a later mindfulness is quite strong. Now, to give you a negative example, you sit down, you close your eyes, you observe your rising and falling movement of the abdomen, you come to know various things, and then your mind goes off into some daydreaming. So, at first mindfulness was there, then during the daydreaming, the mindfulness is no longer there. Then, fortunately, after maybe 10 minutes, um, <laughs> you remember to be mindful again, and I hope it's going to be less by now. And so, now, now then you know, you're mindful for a while of whatever predominant object comes up, and so, now, now then you, know, you hear maybe you know, some vehicle you know, driving you know, by to, on the road to, you know, towards Barry, and then you start thinking about what kind of vehicle this could be. And is this a truck or is this a motorcycle or, you know, what kind of a truck, which brand, and so on and so forth. Now, this will take you out of your mindfulness again. And so this kind, and, and now the question to you is, which of the two, in the two cases, the earlier cases of continuous mindfulness and now the second 
And in case of intermittent mindfulness, which result in mindfulness is going to be stronger? The first one or the second one? Obviously the first one, no doubt. And so what we need is that continuous uh, mindfulness from moment to moment. One moment of mindfulness needs to be connected to the next moment of mindfulness. Now, there are many, many more qualities that our mindfulness ideally should possess. And we will not have the time to go into all of those. And we'll keep this for tomorrow. And then rather schedule a little bit of time now for questions and answers. And let me conclude by wishing. May you all be equipped with, may you observe, may you contemplate bodily sensations and feelings and the mind and dhammas with ardent energy, with clear comprehension, with perfect mindfulness and having put away covetousness and discontent for the world. And may this lead to an ever more powerful mindfulness, may it lead to ever stronger concentration, to deepening of your intuitive wisdom, and eventually may it result in the attainment of at least the path of stream entry during this retreat, if not during some retreat in the future. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.